Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Weston Williams. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Call us on air. Get your voice heard, 847 847- 866-9687. It's going to be a great night to call in just a two-man show tonight. All right. Facebook Live sensation Jakub Josef Orlinski joins Oliver inside the huddle to talk about how a video of this Polish countertenor went viral and just who is in charge of writing the ornaments for the Vivaldi and Handel de Capo Arias. He's singing all over the world and now as an exclusive recording artist for the Arato label. But first, the Deutsche Oper in Berlin recently announced its 2018-2019 season. Weston and I crunch the numbers and run the schedule through the Dodson scale. Surely a German opera house is going to set a new high score, right? And then it's the two-minute drill. We get you up to speed on everything from the past week in opera land and our hot takes on those stories. It's going to be around 9.40 p.m. or so. Got a great show for you tonight. Weston Williams, what's up? Ah, uh-uh, not too much. Just you and me in the studio, all alone. I usually, I look over and I see Matt's smiling face or Oliver's uh, daunting visage. But in here, I see just a void. Okay. And, and you. But, you know, you're fine. You're fine. You're doing just fine. That's great. Now, now that I got rid of the beard, you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. You, I, you can see it a lot better. I feel like there's probably, I don't know about this, not listening in the studio and listening from home might be a different experience, but I imagine the listeners probably heard a little bit of the rustling from the beard at times. Can, can you hear that from mine? That's so gross. Yeah. Please <laughs> don't do that ever again. I, not a lot of sports going on in, in the world right now, at least that I'm interested in. For some reason, I was thinking about the World Cup. Just dreaming about the it. The other day. Yeah. Visions of sugar plums and soccer balls dancing in Dancing in, in my head and corrupt yeah. officials and people flopping and falling on the turf. Every every little boy's dream, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to have, have played uh, in the World Cup. I mean, it's every four years, so it just... Do you ever play soccer? Uh, yeah, I played, I played soccer. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Were you any good? Uh, not that good, no. No, no. I was kind of af- afraid of the ball. <laughs> well, it's okay. Uh, the one time I attempted to play soccer, I, uh, stubbed my toe and fell flat on my face within the first three minutes of the game, and I don't think I've played since. Let's talk some opera. Let's do it. Subject to interpretation and analysis, let's crunch the numbers. WNUR is the station that you're listening to. It's Opera Box Score. George Cedarquist, Weston Williams in the house tonight. There are three major opera houses in Berlin. The Komische Oper, or the Comic Opera, the Staatsoper Unter den Linden, which is on the famous boulevard. Oh, yeah. Uh, full of linden trees in, in Berlin. And, and the Deutsche Oper Berlin is the third big house. And I, I'm going to say that's the one I know the best, actually, Um is that like the 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 wealthy fancy house of the? Bunch? It is. It is. Yeah. Well, it's it's in the former West Berlin. Ah. Uh, it has its own U-Bahn station. U-Bahn. <laughs> <laughs> and I would argue it's perhaps the most traditional house as well. Certainly, the Komischer Oper, which is now being led by director Barry Kosky. I mean, they've always done wacky stuff. Kosky has really upped the ante he's added more musical theater to their programming hmm. and he does it in 
magical, bizarre sorts of ways. Staatsoper uh, unter den Linden is, I don't think it's as wealthy as the Deutsche Oper, probably. Um, Jürgen Flimm is the intendant there, and the General Music Director, the the head of music, Daniel Barenboim. Oh, of course, yes. And I've I've seen a couple shows there, but most of the shows that I've seen were at the the Deutsche Oper. With the roster there of of past leaders is is disgusting. Former music directors <laughs> include Kurt Adler, uh, Lauren Mazel, mm. Christian Tielemann, and since Ooh. 2009, Donald Runnicles, oh, yeah. brilliant composer. The the sort of 20th century golden era of the Deutsche Oper, I would say, was in the 80s and the 90s when it was led by a man called Goetz Friedrich, who was a brilliant director, and many of his productions are still in the repertoire. After the Goetz Friedrich area, it was run by a woman called Kirsten Harms, who actually has been on the show, and I interviewed her. She was the center of some controversy. Oh, really? At the Deutsche Oper in Berlin. This was in 2006 when there was a production of Mozart's Idomeneo. Mm-hmm. And one of the sequences of that particular production was where characters entered with these bags, which had bloodied heads inside, and they were the heads of Mohammed and uh, Oh, I remember Christ. that. I remember that. Yes. yes. And so then the German government got involved, and, and eventually the, the production was canceled. And then there's this big debate about, you know, does politics drive art? How... How should art drive politics? You know, exactly. can it drive politics? Exactly. And, yeah. exactly. So, um, although Kirsten Harms, she lasted until 2011, actually, and then now the current intendant, Dietmar Schwartz, you also have a studio space at the Deutsche Oper, which is called oh. the Tischlerei, which is this old table factory, and that's where they're doing some really progressive new work, studio work. It's being directed by... Young directors in their twenties and thirties that are that are doing. Oh, stuff I love there. that. That that's that's the good stuff right there. So, uh, you should you should go back and look at the Opera Box Score archives. By the way, look for our shows with singers like Davia Boulay, Intendantin, Kirsten Harms. We did a, a segment with a, an assistant director there, Will Robertson. I've got friends who are singing there. Lots of lots of content on the Opera Box Score website that you can tap into. But tonight. We're here to talk about their current season. Yeah, we are. Well, you just set them up, and now we're going to knock them down. <laughs> Weston, talk us through the Dodson scale, named trademark. after... Trademark. thank you. Named after Doug Dodson, singer and member of the Opera Now podcast team. What do we need to know about this metric? Well, it's a very uh, complex and, uh, and, uh, and uh, very comprehensive uh, point-based metric. Uh, we we go through each production in an opera house's season, and and we uh, give it points or take away points based on how diverse and uh, commendable the choices for that season are. So, for example, if we have an opera with a female composer or librettist, they would get 10 points. Uh, If the show was written before 1750, they'd get 5 points. On the other hand, if they're doing La Boheme, they lose 10 points, which I think is fair. Um, You know, it's a sort of a... It's a a very comprehensive and infallible system uh, (laughs) that we use here on Opera Box Score. It's on our website. Said, by the way, operaboxscore.com. It's got its own link to the Dodson scale. Now, so, the, the trick with this one uh, is that we we've been we've been doing this now for uh, basically just the past couple months here. Um, right. Mostly, we've been doing U.S. opera houses, which of course tend to have you know manageable sized seasons. But this is the Deutsche Oper. Uh, this is the big German one, and you know Germany, uh, I believe, has the most. Uh, opera productions out of anyone in the world by a long shot. It's true. Um, it is, uh, it, so, and you can kind of see why, because there are no less than 36 operas that we had to go through uh, in order to score this this um, this baby here. Matt Cummings helped us out. He did help course. us out. Shout out to Matt. We miss you here. Uh, just as me, George, in the void right now, but uh, I'm thinking of you. Um, so we have a couple of highlights here and a couple of uh, what I might call low lights. Um, one kind of a, one kind of interesting thing here that I think we've got going on is a lot of 
fairly kind of middle of the road, frankly, mm-hmm. in terms of choices. There's uh, you have your Carmen, uh, which is minus ten points right there. You've got uh, you've got uh, more than one Puccini opera. You got La Rondine, um, uh, and we have tons of Verity crawling all over the place. Uh, That's true. In fact, the Dodson scale punishes opera houses for producing more than one work by a given composer. So, so if you if you take all that into account, um, they've done more than one Mozart. They've done more than one Leos Janáček opera. They've done more than one Wagner. They've done more than one Berlioz. They've done more than one Puccini, and they've done more than one Verdi. That is negative thirty points. On its own, which is not a great start for the, the Deutsche Oper here, um, but they do kind of pick up some points. And one of the things that we look at particularly is um, is singers of color in starring roles, uh, and uh, uh, and we have a few of those. We have uh, Michat Marrero, which I may not be pronouncing correctly. Uh, I believe she's from Uruguay, Puerto Rico. Man. Puerto Rico. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Puerto Rico. Um, and we have. Uh, uh, also featured, we got Lawrence Brownlee stopping by for some uh, high seas here and there. We got Pretty Yenda. Uh, those are both in La Sonambula. Uh, we have Rene Barbera, who is uh, from uh, Texas, I believe, and he is uh, uh, a Latino. I was uh, going to say, Texas, that doesn't necessarily Yes, <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I should point a that out. A person of color. Yeah. <laughs> you might be crazy. <laughs> yeah, so when you look at Matt's third of the season that he had to mm. run through, mm. uh, he ended up with 31 points just on that third alone. That was a pretty good third. We have uh, operas like Andrea Chenier, uh, Boris Gudinov, uh, Carmen, uh, The Tale of the Magic Flute, uh, which is kind of a, it's a, it's a child's production uh, that they're doing, and uh, <laughs> Matt actually did uh, subtract a few points for that, but George, you disagreed. Well, he, he docked him 10 points calling it a gimmick. I, I'm mm. not exactly sure what, what Matt's point was. I, I mean, I don't... I hope he wasn't saying that opera for children is a gimmick. Maybe well, it's because it was an adaptation of the magic flute. Maybe that's what rubbed right. him Right. I, I feel like I can kind of see that, but at the same time, you do want to get young people coming in, and magic flute is a great way to do that, and if you got to adapt a way around some of the weird Masonic imagery, I think that's fine. You know? <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, of course, there's, uh, at least just in Matt's section alone, two productions directed by Katerina Talbach, so that's a plus three, being mm-hmm. a female director working there. Um, and oh, and we also have uh, Rolando Viazon conducting Flatermouse, and uh, also La Rondine, uh, and uh, so he seems to be kind of stepping into a more offstage role. Um, yeah. Kind well, of... I mean, look, you know, he he's hung up the vocal cords at this yeah. point, and uh, obviously this is his life. This business, is right. This art form is his life, so he wants to stay in it. He wants to be connected to it. And I have to say, I, I do know he has a particular uh, connection. I don't know about uh, uh, Flatermouse, but he does have a particular connection with uh, La Rondine. He's sung it several times. Yeah. I've seen him in interviews about it. He seems to be very enthusiastic about this one production, he's, uh, he's this one opera, and he's directing he's it directing. in this case. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good... You know, obviously, singers as directors can kind of be uh, <laughs> a little bit of a coin toss. Mm-hmm. They know some things, right. they don't know other right. things. Right. Um, but I think that that's a pretty good one for him to kind of... Not, he's not really launching his directing career, but, you know, it, it's still early in his directing career, even as his vocal career is kind of... It's pretty hard out. to screw it up. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put it that way. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist with Weston Williams. We're talking through the Deutsche Oper's 2018... Jeez, I had a total brain fart there. (laughs) What year is it? 2018-2019 season. Uh, Stick around, of course, uh, 15 minutes time. Jakub Josef Orlinski is on the podcast, goes inside the huddle with Oliver Camacho. Weston, when you look at the middle third of the season, which is the ones you focused on, what was a big point-getter? And why? Well, we have a couple of point getters. Uh, La Sonambula, as I mentioned, is a point getter because of Lawrence Brownlee and Pretty Yenda, and it's a plus five points for a new production there. Um, uh, on the other end of the scale, we kind of have uh, Hamlet, uh, the Ambrose Thomas uh, version of that. Now, I, I I pulled ten points for this one because it's going to be a recital version okay. and not a. Uh, 
and not a fully produced piece. And I mm-hmm. think that's kind of fair because, you know, with something so iconic as Hamlet, to not give it its full due, particularly when you have 35 other operas, I feel like it's a weird one to skimp on, particularly when that's one of the kind of the slightly odd opera highlights here in a in a in just a season overflowing with Puccini. It's a great opera too, and it feels like more and more people are doing the yeah. Ambrose Thomas Hamlet. So why they decided to do it as a recital? It's you, you think strange. it's cost cutting? What do you think? I think it is cost cutting. That that is my current theory. They did uh, they did spring the big uh, the big bucks for some of the for some of the people who are kind of known for the role. Diana Damro is going to be in it, who has done it before, uh, and I and I think she was pretty well well received. I haven't seen that production myself, but um, now on the flip side, in your third that you took a mm. look at. Uh, you've got the Verdi Requiem, which is being yeah. staged. Yeah. Now this one is this one is interesting um, because obviously Verdi's Requiem is a requiem. Usually you stand and sing. There's no story. It's a bunch of Latin text. You're dead now. You're dead. Uh, you're you, there. There is hell, fire, and there's heaven, and that's it. So I think staging it is kind of interesting. Uh, from that perspective. However, when Verdi's Requiem originally came out, it was criticized at the time as being too operatic, which is a hilarious criticism to me, a host of a show called Opera Box Score. (laughs) Um, And I think that putting it on in a fully staged sort of theatrical experience is something that I wish more people would do because it is such evocative music. And on the Dodson scale... Operas, which are not in one of the four main operatic languages, French, Italian, German, and English, Mm -hmm. they get five points. You gave this five points because it's in Latin. It's in Latin. I I, I rest my case. It's in Latin. It's kind of weird. I mean, Oliver didn't like that. He he disagreed with that. He liked that it was an innovative way to present a war horse, but... Well, it's... it's, Okay. I mean, Latin... I mean, the point of the Dodson, Dodson scale is, I admit, to expand the diversity of opera, which would possibly imply living languages that people still speak. However, even if Latin isn't in that category, I still think it deserves the five points just on the on the I don't want to say novelty, but the 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 artistic idea behind putting on a fully staged production. So I felt pretty good in giving it the five points, even if it might not necessarily be what the Dodson scale is all about. By the end of your third how many points had the Deutsche Oper come up with? A grand total of, wait for it, eight points. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> so we had the 31 from Matt and then the the eight from you, mostly because they lost 10 from the Hamlet, 10 for yeah, Traviata. Yeah. Again, you do Traviata on our scale, you automatically lose 10 points. When you got to my third, I had a total of seven points, by the way, so oh. I was even beneath you. A little picky. Here's what really stuck out to me in the, the third that I was responsible for reviewing. First of all, there's a world premiere of an opera by Detlev Glanert, mm. which, as I said on last week's show, it feels like someone just wrote his name backwards. <laughs> well, what is that backwards? That's uh, Trenalg Velt Ed. There you go. Bless Perfect. Him. Nailed it. This is a world premiere based on a novella by Fontana, a fragment of a novella. Ooh. And He's an interesting guy, Gleiner. I saw his opera Caligula at English National Opera in, oh, man. Right. I can't even remember what, what year it was. It was bizarre. The music <laughs> is really tough to listen to. It's, it's dramatic. It's compelling. He was there, actually. I just That's happen- great. I happened to see him outside the theater just, like, hanging out. He's a very recognizable guy. Anyway, 15 points for that because it's, not only is it post-1950 and post-2000, it's also a world premiere. So you, when you do a world premiere on the Dodson scale, you really rack up the Yeah, points. yeah, and uh, they kind of need it after my, my section. <laughs> There's also a great production of Richard Strauss's Zalame, directed by Klaus Gut, which I saw at the Deutsche Oper in 2016, which is coming back. Go to the Deutsche Oper website, look at the production photos. That's all I'm going to say. It looks nothing like you think Zalame is going to look like, and it is so compelling and so beautiful. Here was the problem in my segment and where a lot of points were lost. 
on the Dodson scale, in Doug's opinion, mm. every Wagner show you do, you lose five points. <laughs> For a German opera house that's producing a full season, does that feel like an unfair punishment? Well, here's the thing about Wagner, and you know, uh, whenever I That's say what my that, wife says I'm usually all the time. <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like I've started so many conversations this way that have lasted long to the night. So I'm going to try to rein myself in a okay. little bit. For those of us who didn't bring our pajamas, yes, uh, Wagner was kind of universally agreed a bad dude. I mean, if you're if you're having a bad day, say you're coming home from work uh, and you're you're tired, you've just been sp- uh, packing up all day at the Barnes and Noble and you go back to where your car is parked and, t- and you find out it's been towed and then you have to walk all the way to the towing place and you have to pay them money to uh, drive a car out and then you have to come and go to this darn radio show you're on and you know, you're just having a bad day and you just kind of want to look up at the sky and just you want to find comfort in something. And so what do you do you look up you raise your middle finger right at Wagner's ghost and you feel so much better about yourself and I feel like that's kind of where Mr. Dodson is coming from yeah, here yeah, yeah. and I, I entirely sympathize with that because he was a nasty guy in many respects but that being said he was also one of the most significant composers in the western canon uh, I would even argue, I would feel comfortable arguing that he was the most significant, certainly since uh, the early, uh, the early Baroque period. And, uh, and, and I think that because it requires so much to put on Wagner, you need a massive orchestra, you need uh, voices. huge voices, stuff you can't always get. I, I do think that it, it's something that should be applauded to put on, a, metaphorically and literally, applauded to put on a, a Wagner production, uh, particularly particularly in a country like the United States, where sometimes those resources are a little bit less uh, uh, at hand than you know the Deutsche Oper clearly right. has. Sure. Um, and then, of course, there is the point where, where it is a German opera. It is he is he is kind of the quintessential German uh, composer. And so, to 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 remove points for doing their sort of their the cornerstone of German opera since the 19th century does kind of seem to be a little bit a little bit yeah. shaky. And obviously, the rules for our scale they they have to be uh, equal across the board, right? Like you can't punish one country for producing Wagner and not punish another country. I just don't know, and this is my argument with the metric, I just don't know if losing five points every time a Wagner opera is That is true. Because it's going to cripple you when you're in German-speaking Europe. Absolutely. And it will also cripple you if you do a ring cycle, which the Deutsche Oper did kind of save itself and did not do a ring cycle. That would have lost him 20 points. Uh, just by itself, in addition to what they would have lost on each individual <laughs> opera. They're also, they're also doing Rienzi. Nobody, nobody does. I Rienzi feel like that's kind of yeah. Uh, it's it's it, it's his little baby piece. You know, it yeah. was it was real popular when he was a baby. So the grand total for the D.O.B. the Deutsche Oper Berlin is eleven. Eleven. Points. And I think that you could debate this number. Up and down. You could add a couple, subtract a couple. No, you know, George, I think it's set in stone, and we're the final authority on that, actually. Well, and we're going to tell them that on Twitter. <laughs> we're at Opera Box Score on Twitter, by the way. So, 11 points for this sample size. I feel like that's pretty damn good. Yeah, big old you sample know? size. Yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, once again, the Dodson scale really uh, stands up to... Uh, the, every challenge we've thrown at it so far, and I'm looking forward to throwing at it at uh, various opera companies in the future. An exclusive interview with 27-year-old star countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski. That's next on America's talk radio show about opera. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago... You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Huddle up. 
Let's go inside the huddle. Welcome back to Opera Box Score. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist in the house with Weston Williams. Oh, yeah, in the house. And it's just the two of us, man. Yeah, just the two of us. Just on, hanging out, talking about Right opera. now, as Weston and I are doing this show, so creative consultant Oliver Camacho is probably screaming bravo at the top of his lungs for the Chicago debut of Jakub Josef Orlinski, who is debuting with Chicago's Music of the Baroque Orchestra. Oliver caught Orlinski between rehearsals and asked about the viral Facebook Live video of him singing Vivaldi and how he learned to sing wicked fast but expressive coloratura, how he writes original-sounding ornaments. And yes, they do talk about that whole breakdancing thing. We're going to start by listening to some of the De Capo section from that now notorious video taken at the Aix-en-Provence Festival last summer. love for you to say your name slowly into the microphone because I think people are intimidated by by diacriticals and you have a lot of them in your name they're not complicated <laughs> ones they're just like little you know accent aigu you know yes, exactly. but they're over consonants so oh my gosh so let us hear how you would pronounce your own name Jakub Józef Orlinski okay so I hear in the Orlinski a little bit of a palatalized yes uh, that's like so could you say the Orlinski part one more Orlinski. time? Orlinski. Orlinski. Yes. Okay. But, you know, it's like just I travel so much. Everybody yeah. can make a little change here and there. So it's like in France, in France I'm usually Jacob. 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 <laughs> here I'm Jacob, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. I like it. All right. Well, here we are with Jakob Josef Orlinski. Um, I have to say, and I'm sure this, is, this holds true for a lot of people, my first experience... Uh, of you as an artist was this viral video from uh, <laughs> of you singing Vedro con mio diletto and you're wearing like cargo shorts and like some you know shirt rolled up at the elbows and like gym shoes and you look like a bro you know what this term is bro? yeah yeah you look I like know. a total bro <laughs> and then you're a countertenor with this ridiculously gorgeous voice and singing so expressively, like with real gestural phrasing and with like that type of tone quality where it's like a knife, you know, like cutting into your heart, you know, and it touched a lot of people. And I think a lot of people maybe who don't even like countertenors were surprised by this video. So how did this video come about? And and you also have a pretty good social media game. So if you could just talk a little bit about your... I mean, this whole thing was crazy with this video because this is one of those examples like you never know what's going to happen because I just, like, I would would give it the title that I always just, like, like to to sing. So we had our premiere of um, Erismena by Francesco Cavalli uh, the day before, that was Friday. Friday night, we had a we had a performance. Then we were like just celebrating, drinking, you know. And then uh, Marie Celine from uh, Festival d'Exemple Provence asked me if I want to sing tomorrow at the this kind of interview because somebody canceled on them, and if yeah. I could just sing like I don't know four minutes, five minutes. Yeah. And I was just like a little bit drunk, you know. I was enjoying the <laughs> premiere, and I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'm gonna sing. I love to sing. <laughs> so the next morning, I'm waking up and I'm like, oh my god. Uh, where is my voce? Where is my where is my voice? <laughs> so uh, then I decided because I usually sing in those kind of interview like yeah. things, I sing coloratura arias because yeah. people like when there is like fireworks and all yeah. that stuff. But I was like, mm, this time I feel like I should do something different. So I, I chose Vedroco Mio Diletto. I had like fifteen minute rehearsal with uh, 
uh, with, 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 with <laughs> my pianist Alphonse. And, uh, and I asked them if, like, if there is any dress code because, you know, I'm just like, I don't know. It was, was, the, was it hot that yeah, day? It was extremely warm. It okay. was extremely warm. Yeah. And I sent a text and like, is there any dress code? And in the reply, I was like, I got the, the message. Um, no, it's a radio. I mean, Jakob, like, just think. <laughs> there's no, there's no one going to be going to look at you. And then I'm coming to the place uh-huh. and it's in a beautiful patio and yeah. and there and there's are an seats, live audience there. and there is like live audience yeah. uh, there is like a little stage there are like four cameras yeah. and i'm like <laughs> Hey, hey, what is what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, there's a, like a live transmission on Facebook, and you know it's gonna be all fine. Yeah. And you are the you are the last one, and I'm like, oh my gosh! So I'm wearing all that stuff, like those like you know those shorts and yeah. this this shirt, and it was too late to like just go on uh, to to go back home and like change. Yeah. Yeah. And my pianist in in his flip flops, so yeah. uh, so that was pretty 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 funny. Okay, well, I'm glad we brought up two topics in that. We talked about Cavalli and you talked about coloratura, and I'm going to yes. do both of those topics. So, you know, coloratura, Baroque music, this is usually what draws people in because it's exciting, you know? And I do yes. want to talk about that. But for me, singing Cavalli is something else entirely. And um, there's a type of singing that you do in this era of Baroque music, which is much more, um, you know, paying attention to the text and understanding the rhetorical devices of the music. Exactly. And this is something that a lot of people don't ever get around to doing. I mean, it's like not in everybody's repertoire. And there is a video of you singing with La Fregiata. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're singing the beautiful Lucidissima Face from, um, si, from uh, La Calisto. La Calisto. One of my favorite arias and like the type of aria that can just break your heart. You yeah, exactly. So will you talk to me a little bit about singing in that style and how you are so skilled in it? Somebody your age, you're 27, I don't expect to, to understand music that well. And um, I think we, in the pre-interview, you talked a little bit about, you know, ensemble singing in Poland, doing medieval music. So I don't know if it's related to that, but I'll let you answer the question. I, th- I, th- I will start with, with what you said about the ensemble singing. I think it has a humongous input in, in my career in general, because I, I used to sing in a, in a bigger choir, uh, as a boy alto and then we moved on to medieval chants like moved on to to like an ensemble of of just men singing medieval chants for three voices I was singing as a bass baritone and then moved on to renaissance pieces which are like really complex and 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 I was singing as a countertenor not even knowing that you can call it a countertenor <laughs> voice but the thing that I've learned and I I think it's one of the most wonderful skills I I have is listening and reacting. So when you are in an ensemble, you have to blend in. You have to be one of those 9 to 20, whatever it is. You have to blend in and, like, react of like to your partners. And I think that's something that helps me a lot in this kind of music and all kind of music I'm doing because I am treating my my pianist, my, my orchestra, like the, the orchestra I'm playing with, as partners, like they're my collaborators. And sometimes I have to, like in solo singing, you have to be like above that that whole thing, that whole structure. But sometimes you have to really come from that point where they are, like from the same quality of sound and like just blend in and come from nowhere. So like mm-hmm. this is something which really excites me and, and, and it's just unbelievable. And with the, with the early Baroque pieces, like uh, Cavalli, there is a lot of text, and the the whole like pressure is on on the on the lyrics, mm-hmm. and you have to just really understand what you want to say and what you what you are saying, like what those words mean, yeah. because you know the, the the this this kind of Italian, the old fashioned Italian, mm-hmm. is a little bit different. So like that's why usually I translate word by word, mm-hmm. even though like it doesn't make any sense and then above that whole thing I am uh, doing the whole st- uh, translation of the whole sentence yeah. and then I know like which world ex- word exactly I want to highlight and what does it mean to me I mean like yeah. I, I try to just like have this filter of like what does it mean to me and what yeah. I want to, to, to show what I want people to feel or even like feel something but like yeah. I want to like just ex- exposure some, 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 some things and in this music there are a lot of a lot of recits, which people find sometimes boring, but yeah. if you do it with with right people, with right basso continuo group, it's even more exciting than the most di bravura aria you can you can find. Yeah, 
Well, I do want to talk about your ability in, you know, the coloratura. Just tell me how you discovered that part of yourself and, and how you learned to write your own Oh, words. gosh. It was a long journey. Yeah. So if it comes to coloratura, I've never had a coloratura. Like, mm -hmm. I'm one of those people who, like, just I just close myself in a practice room for a couple of years, and I kind of learned how to do it with good teachers. So they but told me... To have, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you have to have a brain for it, too. Like, there's the so many note part of it, but also understanding the pattern of the of the of the coloratura. Yeah, but like, this is this is exactly the the thing. It's like aria di bravura. You have those coloraturas which are like I don't know eight bars long or yeah. sixteen bars long, and you have to find find a pattern, mm -hmm. and you have to practice it in all sorts of way mm -hmm. to actually not think about like every specific note, but mm -hmm. about like to think. Of a line, because yeah. actually in those aria di bravura, di bravura, it's it's also like that that coloratura has to is picturing something like that's an emotion. Yeah. So that's why this character is going so crazy because like he wants to like I don't know show. They mean something exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like if you just sing it very technically and very motoric, like yeah. daga 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 yeah. daga, then it's boring. It's impressive, but it's yeah. it's boring. Yeah. Like if you learn how to do actually phrasing within the coloratura, that's yeah. I think the next level which I uh, I wanted to find because yeah. um, it took me a long long time to even learn how to do it in a very technical, very, you know, just like to be selective and, and in tempo, which I start like always start, I, I always start with uh, from that point. But then I try to find those those ways to make it even more exciting to do like all those effects, like volume effects yeah. and then even some accents. And th those are the things which I love to use in my uh, Da Capi. Yeah. So I love to change the accents in coloraturas. Yeah. I love to do jazz. Be yeah. Because it's it's literally jazz of those right. times. Well, did you have any teacher or any um, coach, you know, to help you understand how to write your own ornaments? Because this is something that I've noticed from your singing that it sounds so original. You know, I mean, I always write my own ornaments, and I got it from my teacher in in Warsaw, Anna Radziejewska. Mm -hmm. She is an amazing mezzo soprano, and she was singing most of the things uh, I was singing during my studies. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she, she was telling me, like, you have to, like, just sit and, f like, feel. Like, what, what, what do you feel? And, like, try to write something. Just, mm -hmm. just try. Mm -hmm. If you need help, we can, like, talk about that. We can check it. Yeah. And then I was, bringing, I, I was bringing some options for my arias when I was, like, very, very early stage of my studies. And then we were talking about those choices, about my choices. Mm -hmm. We were just discussing, like, oh, if, it's, if it really fits the the feeling the emotion of that area yeah, the, the character yeah, and yeah. like is the exactly the um, the affect is is right so then i i kind of started to understand what things in which types of areas are right. working and also so i was reading exactly like, yeah. and cantabile and all of those all, all, all of those sorts of areas which are different have different little rules what you can do yeah. what you cannot and also i just read a lot of a lot of theses about yeah. those 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 Les things agrement. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why I got really, really actually excited about all of that, because it's something that brought me to Baroque music. And that's yeah. why I am so fascinated about that. It's this freedom. Like yeah. there is a structure, there is a piece written by somebody and it's magnificent. But yeah. like I can do something with it. So it's also mine, yeah. like the those ornaments or you can change even something in the in the B part or yeah. like the way you are singing it. It's 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 yours. It's mine. Yeah. So I love it. <laughs> so I have to say, like talking to you, um, you come off actually as a very intelligent and like <laughs> mus and musical person, <laughs> musically intelligent, but also thoughtful. And I feel like you're being marketed right now as like this very attractive young guy and then there's also this breakdancing thing. Yes, of course. And I don't know how you feel about all this like, you know, like I, I can't you can't help but be beautiful. That's, you know. I mean like I'm just trying to be myself and yeah. not trying I am myself, yeah. but like it's sometimes of course it's frustrating when you always see the, the same comments like oh, handsome guy yeah. and like instead of like talking about singing, yeah. there is like this comment about like how how you look, and we have this really funny saying in Poland: "What you won't sing that well, you will just look good." <laughs> so I'm always like, "Can you oh say my it in Polish?" So we know the saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <can I> just... <laughs> Czego nie dośpiewasz, to do wyglądasz. 
Okay. Yeah. I, totally. I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> So, so uh, I think it's it, it doesn't really um, like offends me, you know, in yeah. a, in a way. But like, I just don't want to become this kind of, you know, acrobatic, the pretty guy uh, because cir- circus I, monkey. Yeah, circus <laughs> monkey. Because like, this is this is not how I feel. I yeah. of course would would love to use my skills. Yeah. But that's why, like in for example, this production of Rinaldo in in Frankfurt, um, staged by uh, Ted Hoffman. He used my skills in a way that, like, nobody would say, oh, this is a breakdancer. But they would be really surprised of, oh, my gosh, this guy is singing and doing all that stuff. Because we are starting the overture with a humongous fight with the, with the, with the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredibly physical, real fight for, like, mm-hmm. five minutes. And then suddenly I'm, I'm singing the recit and then the rest of the, yeah. the, the opera. And everybody is like shocked because yeah. what, what happened just like a minute ago. Yeah. And that's what I love to do, like to use my, my physicality mm-hmm. in a way that it fits the character and fits the, um, the production. But I wouldn't like to do a recital and sing two songs and then do a backflip and then <laughs> sing another two because that's senseless. That's just a show off, which we don't need. And uh, yeah. of course, there are places like photo shoots and like this whole marketing stuff, which I, I do for myself also, like in this kind of um, breakdancy way. But it's not something that I, I, I do on a, I don't know, concert venue. I, I, yeah. You won't probably see me breakdancing, uh, singing Nisi Dominus by uh, yeah. Vivaldi or Stabat yeah. Mater by Pergolesi. Do you have any personal um, heroes that you listen to, singing heroes in opera or maybe even in a different discipline, you know? I mean, the thing is that I started in the choir, so my, like, idols were the... Um, the King Singers. Sorry, I couldn't find it. They're gonna be it. here. The King Singers. I'm gonna invite are... you. They're here December 13th. Oh my the gosh! King. But I loved King Singers, and that's why I actually started to to, to sing yeah. more, more, more professionally. I, yeah. I went to my university because I, I thought like, oh, I want to sing better because I want to be one of the one of the King Singers one day. <laughs> but then I discovered the whole you know baroque world, and yeah. that you know everything depends on you. So uh, that's why it, it, it changed a little bit. But like I loved listening to the King Singers yeah. or or other ensembles, which were singing a lot of Renaissance pieces mm-hmm. because I just love that music. It, it mm-hmm. just brings me a lot of a lot of joy. It's very complex and complicated. Like I love harmony because, yeah. I mean, this is the most joyful thing to yeah. highlight this one note, which is just so blue. It's yeah. just so blue that it's just <laughs> ah, and that those notes are making people feel. Okay, so. Is there any repertoire that you would like to work on that would, we would might find surprising? I mean, I heard you sing this Reynaldo Hahn song, which was blew, me, blew my mind, but Philippe Chiruski also did it, so it's not unprecedented. Is there something that you would love to sing that would be a surprise? I, I think that we already started with my pianist some kind of a surprise, yeah. not only for, for Polish people, but for all the rest of the people, yeah. because we are singing uh, Karol Szymanowski's folk songs okay. which were written for a soprano but okay. my pianist was like Michał Biel is yeah. my partner in crime Yeah, he's amazing he is you amazing you guys have to find these videos of you two together oh you, gosh the, he plays those violin parts like oh, in the Vivaldi okay. arias like he is a harpsichordist you know yeah Maestro Luisi said like oh my gosh you are the best piano orchestra I've ever heard <laughs> I mean like it's just it's just crazy and um, he is incredible and we have kind of a chemistry be- between us but like we he said that oh we should transpose those songs and you, you're gonna be great in them you're gonna be great and I was like are you crazy? I'm going to just like, ah, it's going to be so difficult and it's so high. Yeah. But we transposed those songs and we, we did the first uh, four of them. And they are quite spectacular because th- those are songs based uh, on the folk melodies. And they, they are about the problems of, of those like country people. Yeah. And it's, it's really, really interesting um, music. I feel like the Slavic music does do that a lot. I mean, like the, I think of now Russian, you know, songs. Yes. Have, you know, They're just incredibly, stories, you know? some of them are like very alive, like very yeah. alive and very like kind of rhythmically jumpy. And, yeah. and then the other ones are like so smooth and so incredibly sad that even yeah. though I know that people don't know anything what's happening in yeah. the in the lyrics, yeah. they totally can feel what's, okay, yeah. what's going on. 
So are you singing the Simonovsky in your Wigmore Hall? Recital? Yes. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And when, that's June 13th. June 13th. That's coming soon. Yeah. Yes, we have a quite interesting program. I, we, we did a little little journey. So we are starting with with uh, with some Baroque um, Purcell yeah. songs, which those are our arrangements of oh, Purcell wow. songs. And then we go through with uh, Reinaldo Ann songs, with some Schubert, and then we have uh, Tadeusz Baird, mm, Baird, actually, because he's Polish. And then we finish with uh, Coloratura Aria, you know, <laughs> with, uh, with a handle, just to wrap it up a little bit. Okay, I want to give the young countertenors and the audience the chance to hear from you about these things. Two things, and we could wrap this up. Auditioning with Baroque music and how you prepare for auditions, because we talked about this yesterday. Yes. Yeah. I think, it, like, for me, it was a crucial thing. Uh, to Because as a countertenor, you have a lot of program, which is just... Not very well known. Like not yeah. not every pianist knows what is I don't know. Vedrotto, which is this is not the most difficult one to play. Yeah. But like those coloratura arias, the the piano reductions are not really playable. Yeah. You know that's why like you have to spend time and mm-hmm. do like kind of your own reduction in within that re- piano reduction. So. I've learned by uh, my own experience that like I prefer to bring my own pianist for the competition audition or for any kind of any sort of audition because then my performance at that audition mm-hmm. is like much much better the quality mm-hmm. I can produce is much much better because otherwise I had hundreds of situations when I was playing and somebody was just like not having it because it's yeah. really difficult to just yeah. read it and they are yeah. paid just to do like those 20 auditions yeah. with 20 other other, other, <laughs> other, <laughs> other people and it's it's just like you cannot even be angry at those people because yeah. like why would they you know know those pieces and yeah. they have like 30 or 40 different pieces to, yeah. to learn yeah. for that one audition and, 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 and you know it's just very tricky so like I decided that mm, I'm going to always take my pianist and I have to say that for my career I think it worked very well very well because I always I always used my my pianists and it was the quality was like always there because I could I could trust my my supporter and I could actually collaborate within the audition and that's why like audition never was like Kind of like addition. It's addition. It's like kind of a little concert, oh, you yeah. know. Just like, yeah, oh, what would be, you yeah. like to hear the second piece? <laughs> you know? oh, oh, this, okay, of course. <laughs> <laughs> then you are like much more relaxed because you can rely on your on your on your pianist. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so sad that we're out of time, but you know, I think everybody who interviews you asks you this last question, and I'm going to have to ask you. Will you please break dance for us right now? For, okay. For oh, of, of course I will. Of course I will. And you will see everything. It's going to be like... <laughs> Jakob Josef Orlinski, thank you so much for being on Opera Box Score. Thank you so much. Opera Class. Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. That's what you're listening to. George Cedarquist here with Weston Williams. And that was Oliver Camacho inside the huddle with Jakub Josef Orlinski. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. He, I don't know what to say. The, the, the pipes, the, uh, the wit. Uh, he even taught us Polish. I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the complete package. Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, truly, truly a gorgeous voice and just a really incredible knowledge of the kind of music that he sings uh, i mean i it's it's just the kind uh, the kind of quality interview you can only get here on opera box score so grateful for him to be on the show <laughs> and grateful to creative consultant oliver camacho for scoring the interview the hamburg opera fires a soprano for being pregnant that's up next on america's talk radio show about opera keep it locked wnur 89.3 fm <laughs> Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. 
It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number, 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in opera land in less than two minutes. Washington National Opera has announced its 2018-2019 season, which opens with a new production of Verdi's La Traviata. More on their season on next week's OBS. Peter Konvichny, one of the most respected German directors, has been fired by Gothenburg Opera in Sweden three days before the opening of his production of Mussorgsky's Boris Gudnov. The company's CEO, Christina Bjorklund, said his behavior had been unacceptable. Quote, there were no gray areas, she told Swedish Radio. I feel comfortable with this decision. Soprano Julie Fuchs posted on Facebook last week that, quote, I have an unexpected announcement to make. The Staatsoper Hamburg has unfortunately informed me just this week that the artistic integrity of the Jette Steckel production of Die Zauberflöte cannot be maintained if the soprano singing Pamina is four months pregnant, end quote, more on that story in a minute, refers to Julie herself. Touring the Metropolitan Opera Archives a couple years ago, tenor Peter Bachawa mentioned that his dream was to record some arias under early 20th century conditions. So on his day off from the Met's revival of Verdi's Louisa Miller, he got together with soprano Susanna Phillips and the technical team to try out the vintage operation, we're going to play some clips with that when creative consultant Oliver Camacho returns to the show in a few weeks. Advancing to the Mets National Council Finals are Carlos Santelli, Ashley Dixon, Jessica Fasselt, Gretchen Krupp, Danielle Beckferment, Emily Mish, Megan Gray, Hong Ni Wu, and Northwestern grad Madison Leonard. They'll sing with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra this Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Arizona Opera received a $2 million affirmation last Monday for its new programming model that will include staging new operas in small spaces in Tucson and Phoenix. The gift came from Kay and Ron McDougall. He's the former CEO of Chili's Grill and Bar. On the disabled list, Polish baritone Mariusz Kwiczyn has withdrawn from singing the title role in Mozart's Don Giovanni at the Dallas Opera. American baritone Craig Verne will step in. He was originally cast as Mazzetto. Plus, Bulgarian tenor Milan Bozhkov was singing in a new production of Dvorak's Ruzalka in Coburg, but could not return after intermission, reportedly due to allergies. The performance was then called off with no understudy on standby. Exit stage right, John Oliver, founder and conductor of the Boston Symphony Orchestra's Tanglewood Festival Chorus, and on this day... April 23rd, William Shakespeare died in 1616, and it was the premiere of Mozart's Il Re Pastore in 1775. That's your two-minute drill. This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. That's what you're listening to, 847-866-WNUR. The number in studio gives us a call, lets you know... Uh, you're thinking about those headlines. Weston Williams, what is on your mind? Well, uh, first and foremost, how many uh, young aspiring opera singers do you think took a job as a waiter or waitress at Chili's Grill and Bar? <laughs> Only to have Ron McDougall come back, shoes on the other foot, and throw a bunch of money at uh, at uh, where they might have they're, ended up working. They're going to celebrate at Arizona <laughs> Opera with huge orders of Baby back, baby back, baby back. <laughs> I want my baby back. I, I would love an operatic uh, reworking of that song on I'm just ma- for many reasons. I'm just hungry. It does sound so. We should go get food after this. All right. Okay. So I think the real, the real, aside from the chilies, I think the real important story here is probably the Julie uh, Fuchs uh, story. Um, about uh, be, uh, apparently uh, being fired for being pregnant. Uh, um, and this seems to be uh, another sort of uh, twist and turn on the path that we've been following throughout the past year or so with the great uh, sort of Me Too reckoning from a slightly different angle. Um, this time it's not sexual harassment. It seems to be uh, a firing for a specifically... A, a problem that only a woman can, well, I, w- I don't want to say problem, <laughs> a condition a w- only a woman can have, 
uh, only a person who can give birth would have this problem. Um, and uh, exactly. And here was the Hamburg State Opera's yes. problem with it. They so they obviously saw her post on Facebook. They responded to say, "quote We regret we're not allowed. We're not allowed." to let soprano Julie Fuchs play the role in Pamina. It's not possible to change the staging so that there's mm. no danger for the expectant mother and at the same time that the core of the production of Jette Steckel remains. There's a variety of physically demanding scenes, several fight scenes, which are prohibited in principle for pregnant women. The legal situation for the protection of the expectant mother is clear and will never take a health risk even if only a risky scenic action could take place on the stage, end quote. Obviously, a little bit lost in translation. Right, right. Go uh, ahead. I, I do think uh, this, on the surface of it, it does sound like a fairly reasonable statement for them to make. It's certainly, um, it certainly does provide something a little bit, it, it might provide something a little bit more concrete for them. But, but the thing is, singers perform while pregnant all the time uh, in all sorts of, of, Productions, and I think you pointed this out, George, earlier. Uh, it's it's kind of the job of the director to kind of make that vision work around what you have on stage, and that includes the conditions, the pregnancies, the uh, the injuries of your singers. Right? Look, look directing is all about compromise mm -hmm. and collaboration. And I'm telling you right now, it is on this director, Yessa Steckel, who's a woman. Right. It is on her to make this work. This feels like a cheap shot. This feels like the easy way out. And in typical German fashion, the Hamburg Opera is passing the buck and blaming lawyers or medical authorities or city code or something when they couldn't <laughs> stand up for their own artists. I, I do think it is a little suspicious um, when, they say, when, they, when they say, quote, the legal situation uh, for the protection of the expectant mother, end quote, does seem to be the, bringing in the lawyers does seem to be a little bit of a dodge, even if their concerns about keeping her in the production are legitimate. I mean, they're they're. I mean, uh, you you people perform operas with broken limbs. They do it while pregnant, and you know if they want to leave, that's fine. But this is this, and certainly, uh, and certainly, even if their their reasons were completely valid, I think it's pretty clear from. Uh, Fuchs's statement that she does not seem to take it that way. Like, this should have been a group discussion right. with that whole artistic team. From what we know, we're filling in some blanks here, right. obviously. From what we know, it sounds like this was a decision that was just handed down. Okay? Yes. So this is a woman who's four months pregnant, maybe showing, maybe not. She's in her second trimester. As she herself said on that Facebook post... And I want to get this right, so I'm going to pull this up. She said, quote, as is the case with most women in the second trimester of my pregnancy, I'm happy to report that I'm feeling full of energy. So uh, she did not see any problem with this. Yes. I don't. It, it, does not, it, it seems to have definitely been not her decision, uh, and that, I think, is not okay. <laughs> here's, here's the other thing I don't get about the, the production in, in Coburg. You're doing, it's opening night of a new production of an opera, and you don't have... An understudy, ready to go. What are you doing, opera companies? I, I mean, maybe they let the understudy go at intermission, because sometimes it's true, like you make it to intermission, the understudies all go home, so they're not paid to just be sitting around. But it's like, first performance. You, you, it has to go perfect. Yeah. So you yeah. put you put these contingency plans into place. There should be levels and levels of uh, for for something like that. I I mean I suppose it's possible. You know, all their levels of understudies uh, were also had allergies, <laughs> but but it's it's a risky it's a risky thing to do. Very strange. Let's uh, wrap this show. Yeah. Up. Good call. Bad call. On opera box score. Uh, are we? just the tr most treacherous people in the world having like sung the praises of the German system and then slammed it in the same <laughs> show. I, I don't know. Yeah, probably. Uh, hey, did you have a good call? You, did you want to do Oliver's? Yeah, I got, I, I, here's a, a good call sent in from us from Oliver. Uh, uh, the, 
creative consultant Oliver Camacho, he wrote this, was delighted by New Moon Opera's production of Pauline Viardot's Cinderella. The four-year-old storefront company has been making intelligent programming choices to separate them from the pack and has a secret weapon in soprano Vera Bowser-Schmitz, who sang the role of the Cinderella's fairy godmother. Oliver says that Bowser Schmidt's youthful but powerful tone can make any venue sound like a gorgeous concert hall and that we should all watch out for her next step. Yeah. They should get a pat on the back just for doing Viardot's Cinderella. Nobody does. I yeah. mean, everybody does Cenerentola and everyone does Cendrillon. And also, uh, maybe another good call, uh, Cendrillon, uh, live in HD this weekend from the Met. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, lots of Cinderella. Also happening at North Park University uh, this weekend as well. Okay. All right. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager of WNUR is Nick Anderson, our announcer, Norm Waddell. You can check out his work at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And if you listen to the podcast version of our show, please leave a review. It's the cheapest, fastest, and bestest way to promote our work. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera with a pint of your favorite room temperature ale. It's St. George's Day, after all, the patron saint of England. Join us next Monday at 9 p.m. Central for more interviews, opera news, and hot takes. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.